you would let's bow with me in prayer as we begin this morning. Lord, we thank you uh, for this time. We thank you for this place that you've provided. We thank you for this wonderful time of year as we celebrate your coming to us and what that means for us. We pray that uh, as we open the scriptures this morning, that you would speak clearly to us through your word. We pray that your spirit would move in this place, that you would open our hearts and our minds to receive the truth of your word. I pray that you would continue to draw us ever closer to you. We thank you that you have revealed yourself to us in this way that we can know you more fully. We thank you for these wonderful gifts. And uh, we pray all these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Uh, just thinking, uh, it's, it's still hard for me to believe that Christmas is, is this week. I feel like I've been saying that for like the last four weeks as we've been walking up to this. And now that it's here, it's just a couple of days away and it still feels like, how did we get to this? How did we get to this point? And so as we've been talking about moving towards Christmas as this Advent season, the, the, the four Sundays leading up to Christmas, we often uh, historically refer to as Advent, kind of preparing our hearts for that time. What we've been seeking to do as we gather together on Sunday mornings is just to root ourselves in uh, the supremacy of Jesus in all things, that uh, we would have the proper response uh, to the celebration of Jesus coming to us. And sadly, a lot of times as we get into Christmas, we can get so taken with so many other things and so many other areas and so many other avenues that we begin to celebrate in different things that Jesus can kind of get pushed over into the corner. And so what we started with a few weeks ago was just this idea that Jesus is the very center of all, all of history. We, we looked at uh, how it says that in the beginning, before the foundations of the earth, that God chose us in him, Jesus, before the foundations of the earth. That he chose us to have a relationship with him through Christ and what he would come and do through Jesus before he did anything else. And so Jesus is very real way, the very center of all. And then we talked about how all of the promises of God find their yes in Jesus. And so what we've been looking at is just some of the things we see in the Old Testament, the promises and the offices and the way that it talks about different things throughout the Old Testament and how they're coming to fruition fully in Jesus Christ. And when he comes, he brings all those all those promises together. And so a couple of weeks ago, we looked at the idea of prophets in the Old Testament and how all the prophets that came before that would speak about who God is and what he's like, that Jesus was the ultimate, the true and better prophet. Not only does he speak the truth of who God is and who we are, he shows us what it looks like in everything he does. He's the perfect revelation of Jesus. Of God. Jesus is the perfect revelation of God. We see Jesus. We see God. And then we looked at how last week, how he's our perfect, our true and better, perfect high priest. That is our intermediary between God and man. That because of our sin, because we've turned our back on him, we can't walk straight into the throne room of God on our own in before his holy, perfect justice. But because of Jesus and what he's done, he is our intermediary. He brings us in through what he's done and he is our perfect high priest. And so today we're going to turn to the third of those offices you see in the Old Testament. And this morning we're going to think of Jesus as our king. We see throughout the Old Testament, we see all throughout scripture, this idea of kings coming up at different times. It's somewhat foreign to us today. Uh, we don't have a king. We don't think that way a lot of times, but that was very normal in their day. In fact, Israel, God had chosen a people for himself to reveal himself to all the world. And he was their king. But yet at some point along the way, they decided, you know what? We want a king like everybody else has a king. That's actually what they say. They go to the prophet 
Samuel and they say to him, uh, we want a king like all the other nations. We want to be like them. And God says, fine, if that's what they do, that's what they want. We'll let them have it. And so what happens is when you get an earthly king, a man is your king, which they did. God gave them that. What comes with that? Uh, the good things that come with it is this leadership. But there's a lot of bad things that come with it. When you put a sinful broken man over a nation and you hold him up to this position, there's all kinds of problems that come with that. And so you see that throughout the Old Testament. You see all kinds of issues that come from all these different kings. And even the highlights, even the very best of kings, uh, King David, that scripture calls that God calls a man after his own heart, had all kinds of issues. He still had problems. And so you see these broken, uh, falling apart kings in different areas that struggle through their sinfulness to lead the people. But all along the way, even as the even as the people reject God, God is faithful and he continues to call them and he continues to say, I'm going to bring a time where I give you a king that's everlasting, that's eternal. And he's going to be a king uh, from the line of David and he's going to rule over everything for all time. It's actually the reading that we just read in Luke chapter one. Right? When the angel comes to Mary, he says, this is it. This is the king, your son, this one that's going to come is going to be born and he's going to reign everlasting on the throne from now on. And so throughout all of that, you see this picture pointing us to Jesus as our true and better, our perfect king. And so we're going to think about that idea this morning of how great he is, what that means that he's our king and what that looks like. And we're going to do that by looking at two different passages. It's printed there in your bulletin with the page numbers and everything. If you want to look, follow along in the pew Bibles, it has those page numbers. But we're going to look at Matthew chapter 28 and just a few verses in Matthew chapter 28, which is found on page 542 in the pew Bible. And then we're also going to look at just a few verses in Colossians chapter one, which is page six. 38. And those two together, as we put those together, are going to give us this picture of why Jesus is our true and better king, why he's the perfect king. And so really, that's our first question is, is why is Jesus the true and better king? And then we're going to ask, what does he demand of us as our king? Because right? if he's the king that's described here in scripture, then he gets to demand some things of us. And then lastly, why what he demands and what he calls to us is absolutely wonderful. Why it's a good thing that we should celebrate and rejoice in. And so how is Jesus our true and better king? What does he demand of us? And then why is that so wonderful? And so let's just start with this idea of Jesus as the true and better king. And we're going to look at Matthew chapter 28 to begin with. This is one of the most famous passages. If you've grown up in the church, you've probably heard this a lot. If you pay attention as you walk into the building, as you come on Sunday morning, you'll read it each week. It's actually on our, our banners. It's the third one. Right? As you come in, it says gather, we gather together to worship, we grow in our relationship with God, and then we go. And it's the go one, the third one. It's what we often call the Great Commission. It's the last words that Jesus speaks before he ascends into heaven, what he tells us before he ascends. And so listen to what he says in Matthew chapter 28. And Jesus came to them and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and in the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And it's so familiar. It's a very familiar passage. I say it a lot. We talk a lot here about the going, the outward focus, go make disciples of all nations. I say that a lot. I'll even start right there. Go make disciples, baptizing them, go to all nations. We talk about missions and the importance, the importance in our own lives. 
But it's so familiar and we say it so often. I just confess, even as reading it this week, how I miss part of that, how I quickly can gloss over what that says, that Jesus, before he commands us, before he calls us to go make disciples, the very first thing he says is all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Before he tells us anything, he says all authority in the heavens and the earth. I am the king of all is really what he says. I have authority in all places everywhere in the heavens and the earth. And then he says it has been given to me. I currently have that authority over all. Just think about that picture for a second that he says that I have authority over all things and I have it right now. It blows apart our thinking. Then we say, well, I've become a Christian and I'm going to wait it out and I'm going to huddle up and I'm going to wait until I get to heaven and then things will be great. Because Jesus says, I have authority over everything and I have it right now. He doesn't say you got to wait until I get the fullness of my authority. He says, I am reigning right now on my throne and it's over all things in every place, everywhere in the heavens and the earth. And he tells us that so clearly I'm reigning over all things. And so when we start to just ask the question, how is Jesus a true and better king? How is he the greater king? It's a pretty clear picture. The difference between a regional king like King David, who had millions of people under his reign and the kingdom was expanding, or King Solomon, the greatest extents of Israel that they had, and the wealth that went with that was still an earthly king over one little part of the earth in which he was trying to rule through armies and an iron hand and all the things that he was doing. And Jesus says, I have authority over everything, heavens and earth, all things, all places, all all there is. And so you start to see why when, when you get this uh, picture of who Jesus is and what he's coming to do. And then as he walks on earth and his disciples start to go, this is it. He's the Messiah. We're going to make him the king. They're thinking earthly king. And Jesus is thinking, no, no, no. I came to do something far greater than that. You're not going to make me king of a little area in the Middle East. I'm king overall. The heavens and the earth, all things. And so you see that picture, that claim of all authority. And so just to think about that, I want to make sure that we let that kind of rest on us as we think about Jesus as the true and better king. I want you to flip over to Colossians chapter one, if you're following along, because Paul paints a picture there that kind of fleshes that out for us, that Jesus has all authority in heaven and in earth in Colossians chapter one. It's an incredible passage what he says there. And so as you turn to Colossians, this is Paul writing to an early church in Colossae. And they're really struggling with the idea that Jesus is actually supreme overall. They're looking to bring different religions in and different things and superstitions are coming in. And Paul's telling them, no, 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 Jesus is it. He is enough. He is the king and he's over all things. And then he says this. So picking up in verse 15. He talking about Jesus, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation for by him. All things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things and in him, all things hold together. He is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, 
whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. It's quite a description. When you start to read what Paul tells us about who Jesus is, he is the firstborn of creation. He is the creator of all things. He is completely and totally God. When you see him, he not only creates all things, he holds all things together. We exist because Jesus says so. That is far greater than any earthly king that's ever lived. A king that has dominion over one little part of the earth and they're ruling by power. And Jesus, no, he holds all things together by the power of his word. He's not like any other king. He is the full and complete everything. Creator, sustainer, redeemer. When we turn our backs on him, even though he's all those things, his response is, this is all mine and I'm going to come and I'm going to redeem you. I'm going to lay my life down for you to bring you back. And then I'm going to show you that even death cannot stop me. The firstborn of the dead, it says, I have power and authority over death and sin. You see the fullness of who Jesus is in his kingship. And so I want you just to think about that description, the way Paul paints that. Or what Jesus himself says there in the Great Commission. What is the proper response to that? If that's who Jesus is, what Paul says here, what is the proper response? I was trying to get my head around just even thinking about that. And this will not do it justice. But I was thinking it'd be kind of like if you have nothing. Imagine today that everything you have, you lose. Family, Friends, you have nothing. You have no money, no place to live, no car to drive, no job, nothing. You're literally sitting out on the street corner and you've got nothing at all. And a guy comes along and he says, hey, I want to help you out. They go, oh, great. I got nowhere to go. He says, come on, I'm going to get you a place to live. And he takes you and he gives you a house, not an apartment, not some money for rent. He says, I'm going to give you this house. And he drives up and it's a mansion. He says, it's yours. And it's paid for. And I've paid for all the taxes and everything that goes with it. And by the way, I stocked the refrigerator and it's fully furnished and it's yours and you don't have to pay anything. There you go. But you need a car to drive, too, because you don't have a way to get around. Let me go buy you a new car. And so he buys you a brand new car. You can pick whatever you want. 2015. So it's all covered under warranty and it works and all that. I'll give it to you. And then I'm going to set you up with a job. Let me give you a job that you're really going to enjoy and it's going to pay you well and I'm going to give you all these things and I'm going to give it to you. I just have a couple of uh, things that I ask of you. Now imagine that's you. You go from nothing to all this stuff handed to you. And then he says to you, uh, I just want you to use your house that I've now given you. If you know people in need, you would invite them into your house. Or he says, this car that I just gave you, if you know, need, you know someone that needs a ride, you'd be quick to say, come with me. I got this new car. I'll take you. So that's all I ask of you. What would your response to that be? I just had nothing, right? I had absolutely nothing and you just gave me everything. Absolutely. Yes, I'll use my house to allow people that are in need or I'll give them a ride. Now, I want you to think about what Paul says in Colossians 1. Jesus spoke you into existence and he holds you together He's given you everything that you are. You turned your back on him, but yet he lays his life down and he redeems you and he brings you back again to to reclaim you, to redeem you, to bring you back. And he's done all that for you. What is the proper response? My Lord and my King, 
king of all that holds all things together. Anything you ask of me, I am there. It's all yours. Right. My silly illustration of having nothing and then having that's every one of our stories. That's us. You don't have to imagine it. It's true. He holds you together by the power of his word. I always like the way Jonathan Edwards used to say, if, if Jesus ceased to think of us for an instant, we would cease to be. That's the king we're talking about. And so the first question is, how is Jesus the true and better king? Hopefully it's pretty obvious versus all other kings. He has power over all and he holds all of it together. So then the second question I want to ask is, what does he tell us as our king? If that's who he is, what does he tell us as our king? And so look what he says in Matthew chapter 28, because he tells us, he says, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. Right. He's telling you, I am the king of all. I have it all. Every bit of it is mine. I hold it together by the power of my word. And now here's what I say to you. Go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And that's what he tells us. And he even defines what it means. He says, go make disciples of all nations. And then he tells you what that means. He says, teaching them to obey all that I commanded. So to be a disciple of Jesus, what he calls us to is you obey everything that I've commanded of you and you help others to do the same. That's what I'm telling you to do as your king. And so when you root that in what Paul says in Colossians one of who Jesus is with Jesus saying, I have authority in all heavens and all earth. What is the proper response to his command? We should be all about making disciples of Jesus. That's it. We say all the time, our our philosophy of ministry at this church is disciples who make disciples. And the reason is, is because our king tells us to. The one that holds it all together says, this is what it looks like. You make disciples who make disciples. You teach them to obey all that I've commanded. Now, the hard part when you hear that. If you're a person, if you're a human, means you're a sinful, broken person and you're not completely obedient to Jesus in every area of your life. And so oftentimes we think that through and then we go, well, I'm not completely obedient, so I can't help other people. And so that's my out. Wrong. You don't get that. Jesus knows exactly who you are and what you where you've fallen and where you're not completely obedient. And he says, go make disciples. He says, I'm going to do it and I'm going to be with you. And he calls us to that. And we're considered we're called to do that. And it's not wait around until you have everything perfectly worked out in your own life. He says, you go see evidence of this all throughout scripture. I love the picture of the woman at the well. She hears Jesus. She meets him. She talks to him and she immediately starts to go and tell. She didn't have it together. She doesn't even know all of it yet. But there she goes and she starts to make disciples. It's a beautiful picture that our king calls us into that, that he gives us that picture. I want to use you in my kingdom. I want to use you as I go and as we make disciples of all nations. He has all authority over all things, but yet he chooses us to allow to be part of that. And he calls us in. And so you ask the question, well, what does he call us to do? He tells us to go make disciples. What is the only appropriate response given who our king is? Yes, absolutely. What else can I say? 
No, I don't think so. Notice the way he phrases it, too. All authority has been given to me, so go make disciples. Jesus doesn't say, hey, if you feel like it, if you can fit it into your schedule, right? if you're not too busy with other things, if you just carve out an hour to maybe try to help somebody else follow me. And he doesn't talk that way, and he doesn't have to talk that way, because he's the king of all. He says, go make disciples. This is what you are called to do. This is what it means to be obedient to Jesus. You seek to obey him in every area of your life and you seek to help other people do it. I want you to think about the uh, when that can be overwhelming. How do I do that? I don't know. I don't know what that looks like. And then you read the description there in Colossians one. He is preeminent in all things. He is the firstborn of the dead. Right. The grave couldn't couldn't hold him. I think he's going to do okay to help me make disciples. And so you start to see the picture of what he calls us to and how it's rooted in who he is and how he can command us of that. Now, here's the last part that I want us to think about. We can hear that in our society, in our lives and talk about this idea of Jesus being our king and he gets to command of us or demand of us what we do. Be a disciple who makes disciples, he says very clearly. And that can be like, oh, that's so oppressive. I don't like that. We live in a very individualistic society. I don't want anyone telling me what to do. We even talk that way today. Frame it in a way that you're not telling someone, you're asking someone. It'll go better, right? How would you like to make disciples with me? Right? That's the way we talk today. Instead of Jesus commands us to make disciples, we frame it that way. Because we don't want anyone to tell us what to do. And so it can, I can completely understand when you hear this and go, man, I don't know. Seems very kind of oppressive to me. It's going to box me in. I've got to make disciples because that's what Jesus calls us to do. But here's why this is wonderful good news. Because our king is perfect. And he's perfect in every way. See, oftentimes when we think about Jesus as king, or we think of him as father, or we think of him as all the different things that it tells us in Scripture, we equate him to earthly kings or earthly fathers or sinful people. And we start to go, I don't know about that. I don't know about this idea of him commanding me to do things. But Jesus is perfect in every way. He's perfectly loving and he's perfectly merciful and he's perfectly long suffering and patient and kind. And he walks with us in these things and he calls us to go make disciples. He's the one that that upholds us by the power of his word, who sustains us. And so he calls us into this picture to make disciples. And in doing so, he's calling you into having a relationship with him and helping other people to have a relationship with him. And that's what you were made to do. And so Jesus is calling you to your uh, most deepest need, whether you realize it or not. You were made to be all about him and to help other people be all about him. And so when he says, go make disciples, he's not shaking his fist and telling you something. I don't know. I have to do. He's calling you into something that you were made to do. That you were made to be about. So why Jesus comes and he says, I came to give you life and give it to you abundantly. I'm calling you to do something that's going to bring a joy in your life that you're not going to find anywhere else. And so it's not a, a, a bad thing that he's commanding us. It's a good thing that he's telling us. 
I want you to think of all the different things maybe you struggle with in your life. Different things. I'm not sure what to do here. And I'm not sure what to do here. How nice would it be to have somebody who had the answer to every one of those things? I would love that. Oh, wait, I have that. I have a king that holds all things together who walks with me and is there to help me and guide me and tell me. And he's revealed himself to me in his word. And so when he's commanding us to go make disciples and obey everything I've told you, there's the answers you're looking for. And oftentimes my own sinful heart, where it becomes hard, where discipleship becomes difficult, is my own sinfulness wants to go, no, 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 I don't think you know what you're talking about, Jesus. When someone offends me, we'll love them anyway. It's not what I want to do. But he's right. He's the king that holds it all together. He made you. He put you together. He holds all of it together. He knows exactly how his creation works. And so what he's calling to you is so much better than what you could ever come up with. And sometimes it's hard. And that's why Jesus says you have to die to yourself and follow me. But the good news is if you follow him, it's exactly what you need. Even when it's difficult. And so he calls us into this relationship, this obedience with him. And it's this wonderful, beautiful thing because apart from him, if he is the creator who holds all things together, holds it together by the power of his word, we're never going to get to the heart of what we were made to be unless it's through Jesus. So we said at the very first week before the foundations of the earth, God chose us in him, in Jesus. That's the way the creation works. That's the way God set it up. And so if we remove him from that, it's just like beating your head against the wall. It's not going to work. And so the greatest joy, the greatest purpose, the greatest meaning in your life is only going to come when you become obedient to Jesus. And so we seek to become more and more obedient to him in every area of your life. And there's times that's going to be difficult because of our sinfulness and because of the things we want to do and the, the pressures of this life and all the things that are swirling around, sometimes that's hard. But here's why Jesus is the greatest king. It's the true and better king. Look at the last thing he says. Right? He says, all authority has been given to me. Go make disciples, become completely obedient. But then what does he say at the very end? And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. But it comes back to Christmas. Our king doesn't just sit up on his throne and tell you what to do. He comes to you and he enters in and he walks with you and he says, I am going to be with you always. And I've proven it because I left my throne and I came down and I did what you never could do. And I did it for you. And now I've restored you in relationship and I'm not leaving. I'm going to walk with you through all of that at every time in every way. I'm not like earthly kings that do things out of self-centeredness and selfishness and seek to use people. I have your best interest at heart always. Because your best interest, whether you realize it or not, is making Jesus the center of your life. Because he is the center. He is the king. He's what we need in every way. And so it's this beautiful, beautiful picture that we have a king that is so great. And so we celebrate that. We just sang that. Child of glory, infant holy. He comes to us and he comes in. And that's what we celebrate at Christmas. 
We're not celebrating just an earthly king or just a little part. We're celebrating the king of the universe humbling himself and coming to us. And so I'm going to end with this this morning as we think about that. Can't say this any more clearly than I'm going to say it. Jesus is your king. And he calls you to make disciples who make disciples. And if you're not, you're being disobedient to the king of the universe. I can't say it any more simply than that. Now, the good news of everything we've talked about, Jesus is also your high priest. So if you sit here today and you go, I'm not making disciples. I'm not doing that. I am being disobedient. He's standing before the father on your behalf and going, he's perfect and he's mine and I've got him and he's complete. He's our high priest. And so that means let's start today with a plan of how are we going to make disciples who make disciples? If that's what our king calls us to, the only appropriate response would be, yes, let's do that. And so there's lots of opportunities. If you're not sure where to get started or what that looks like, come ask. It's why we're here. So we function as a church. We're called together to build one another up, to help each other follow Jesus, and then to go make disciples of all nations. That's why we exist. As a pastor and as your elders, we are called to equip you to do that. That's our job. That's what we're supposed to do. And so there's all these opportunities, whether it's the missional community groups, whether it's uh, Tuesday morning breakfast. uh, We're going to start men's meetings on Sunday nights once a month coming up in the new year. The ladies are doing wonderful stuff with discipleship. There's going to be a real emphasis this next year on prayer. Go, I don't know how to pray. That's okay. We're called to help each other learn in that. And so we have all these opportunities. And I tell you that, I say this all the time, I beg you to do that because I know your joy will only ever be full when you become more and more obedient to Jesus. So that's what I want. That's what I want in my own life. That's what I want for you. I want us together to seek to follow him in everything. And so don't let that, that's not a, to beat you up if you feel like, man, I'm not doing that. It is an encouragement to go, let's do that together. Let's get after it. Let's be obedient to our true and great king for what he's called us to be. What an opportunity we have. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you. For the truth of your word, we thank you that you are reigning right now. That all authority, you have all authority over all things. And we thank you for that. We thank you that we celebrate that. We thank you that even though you have authority over all things, that you saw fit to humble yourself so that you could uh, redeem us, draw us to yourself. And for that, we thank you. I pray that you'd give us opportunities, you would give us an excitement, that you'd give us clear leading and direction on how to help to disciple one another, that we would seek to be more and more obedient to you in every area of our lives, that we know that there's a wonderful fullness of joy that comes in that. We pray that you would help us to see that more clearly. I pray this year that you would give us more and more opportunities to do that to care for one another, to point others to your glory and how you are a true and better king. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.